0: And I want to start by looking at Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. This uh, message is entitled, An Introduction to the Will of God. An Introduction to the Will of God. Uh, God has a will for your life. And he has a will for my life uh, too. Uh, So does the devil. Uh, We got to be aware of him, don't we? The Bible talks about those who have been taken captive at his will. At his will. He's got a will for you, too. But God has a will for your life. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss it for this world. This world's not worth it. This world is too shallow. It's too empty. Uh, You'll get to the end of your life, and if you've lived a worldly life or just for the world, you'll say, boy, what a waste that was. Nobody ever regrets doing the will of God. Some regret, like me, not doing more uh, of the will of God, but nobody ever regrets doing the will of God. And uh, this morning, in part one of this message, Introduction to the Will of God, I'll try to tie it in a little bit with some Thanksgiving thoughts, uh, too. But notice in Colossians 4 and verse number 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, Now notice this, what's his prayer? That ye may stand perfect and complete in, and this next verse, this next word is one that I have circled in my Bible. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. There are some who do part of the will of God, and that's better than doing none of it. Um, But uh, Epaphras' prayer for his congregation at Colossae was that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now what is all the will of God? Well I'll start giving you some things today and then at another time we'll do part two or three of this uh, sermon down the road Lord willing and and still after my sermons I I haven't I won't be able to cover it completely. Uh, The will of God is a deep thing and we should study it Uh, and we should try to fulfill it. Back in chapter 1, Colossians 1, and verse number 7, it tells us a little bit about this Epaphras guy. He's one of the minor characters in the New Testament, but what a great man of God. It tells us here he was a minister. And it says, as ye have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now we just learned earlier what what they prayed for. They prayed that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And uh, to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we see that Epaphras in verse 7 was a minister, a faithful minister of the church at Colossae. And it appears by this text in chapter 1 and the text in chapter 4 we read earlier that he and Paul were having prayer meetings together. And Paul, while listening to their pastor or their minister pray, recorded in chapter 4 and verse 12 what he prayed for them, that they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And in verse eight or verse nine, be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so this is kind of like an introduction 101 type of a message to the will of God for your life. And this would just be part one because I got, I got at least nine points down here and um, you won't have to worry about any traffic. If I tried to, Preach, preach all of this, but uh, I'm not. I'm just going to bring a few points today, and then more in the future. So, where in the world were Paul and Epaphras having a prayer meeting together? Well, it tells us in Philemon chapter one and verse twenty-three, he referred to Epaphras as my fellow prisoner, my fellow prisoner. If you know about the uh, New Testament letters, four of them were written from prison. They're called prison epistles. And Colossians is one of those that was written from prison. Philippians is another one. Amazing books, just just full of brightness, full of good news, and the knowledge of God. And here they were in prison writing it. And so this is one of the prison epistles. And I believe that Epaphras and Paul just got thrown in prison here in Colossae or somewhere together, and, and they began to pray. And he heard Epaphras praying for his church back in Colossae, and specifically that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So what are they talking about? What do they mean the perfect and complete will of God? Romans 12 2 says be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that word perfect means complete uh, all the will of God and so there's there's many things that are revealed to us in the scriptures that is God's will for you God's will for me. And we should study them and then, of course, check the box. Am I, is this part of my life right now or is it something I need to add? Because we need to start somewhere. I'd like you to turn now to Matthew chapter number 14 and I want to give you some of them. Number one, it is God's will for you to be saved. It is God's will. If you are saved, you have already completed one. You got one thing down. That's God's will for, you, for your life, and that is for you to be saved. And I'm going to kind of go through these quick, but you might want to write on the back of your bulletin the points and the scriptures in case you can't keep up. Jesus, on this great discourse about children, Matthew 18, the first part's all about children. He kind of concludes it in verse 14 by saying this, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, That one of these little ones should perish. So we see something about the will of God here, and that it is God's will for all to be saved. And when I say all, I mean all. It's God's will for all to be saved. And in this case, he directly says it's God's will for all little children to be saved. We believe children can be saved, we believe conversion is that simple. We refuse to be moved from the simplicity that is found in Christ Jesus. And we keep the gospel simple because it is simple. It was hard on Christ, but it's simple for us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and receive him as our Savior. And in many cases, a children's faith is much more pure than an adult's faith. An adult oftentimes has to fight off all their education and knowledge and pride and philosophy and religion and all the things they've been indoctrinated with and somehow set that aside to simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as their Savior. In fact, it says uh, in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become his little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the only way to truly be saved is to go back to childhood, and with a childlike faith, just simply trust in Christ as your Savior. You know what a childlike faith is, right? You tell a little kid there's a Santa Claus, and they will believe you with all of their heart. They'll believe you with all of their heart. In fact, one of the most devastating days in their life is when they come to realize there is no Santa Claus. So we never taught our kids that. But that's a childlike faith, a childlike faith. They just believe whatever their mother tells them, whatever their father tells them, whatever they're told in church, whatever their religion tells them. They believe that. Even Lenin knew that. He said, you give me your children for the first four years of their life, and I'll have them for the rest of their existence. They'll believe what I indoctrinate them. And we need to go back and have a childlike faith, verse 3, and be converted. Converted. Everybody needs to be converted. There's no such thing as always being a Christian. There's no such thing. And you might say, well, my dad and mom are Christian." I always grew up in a Christian home. But have you ever been converted? Has there ever been a day? Like Paul said to the Corinthians, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There needs to be a day of your life. God has no grandchildren. Your mom's faith isn't good enough to save you. Your dad's faith isn't good enough to save you. And I want to encourage you, moms and dads, be careful. You are not the Holy Spirit. Do not tell your children that they're saved because you said a prayer with them one day. Let the Holy Ghost, His Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's people going to be going to hell because some dogmatic mother or father can't get over their pride that maybe their kids aren't saved. And they need to be saved. And uh, that kid goes off to camp, praise the Lord, or Christian college, or something like that, Christian school, and somebody else shares the gospel, and they get saved. And sometimes you see the parents get offended. Man alive. I just had uh, breakfast Tuesday morning with uh, evangelist um, Tony Saxton out in uh, Seneca Falls. I was sitting next to him. You know Tony? He was just here, wasn't he, about a month ago and sang for us? Uh, Tony Saxton. Uh, and he said to me, Brother Cole, he says, I've been discipling my family. I said, that's wonderful. He says, i got a good discipleship course. And, and he says, I use it everywhere I go. I'm discipling my family. And i got my son there and his wife and the kids around. And I'm going through this discipleship. And my son says, Dad, would you stop? I'm not saved. 39 years old. 39 years old, I'm not saved, yet. I need to be saved. And Tony said, let's do that right now. And just last week, his 39-year-old son believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received him as his Savior. Quit telling your boys and girls they're saved. Quit telling your grandchildren they're saved. You are not the Holy Spirit. That's God's domain. Stay out of it. Stay out of it. Let God, the Holy Spirit, be the only one that confirms to anybody of any age that they've been truly born again. But it is God's will that you be saved. It is God's will that every child be saved. So let us pray. Let us pray that God gives us more children in Sunday school, in children's church, on our bus route. Pray that God will give us more children in our kids' clubs. Pray that God will give us more children in CEF and, and all the public schools that we're going in because it's God's will that they be saved. God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, and verse 9. And that includes you. God wants you to be saved. Let's look at number two. Turn to 1 Thessalonians and chapter number four. If you're not saved, you don't have to leave church that way. Salvation is simple. Church can't save you, but the Lord Jesus Christ can save you. And says four times in the Bible, it says these words, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you'll call on the Lord in faith, in repentance, and you, you know, we're sorry that we're sinners. Our sins have separated us from God. A, a holy God cannot allow sin in the presence into heaven. And a just God must punish sin. He would not be a just judge if he let criminals, sinners, go free. He's got to punish them. He's got to. doesn't want to, but he's got to. Just like your judge in town might not want to punish criminals, but he's got to. That's what we call just, and God is just. But God is love, and he gave his son, the Lord Jesus, to die in your place as your sacrifice, as your substitute, On a cross at Calvary, you and I should have been crucified there. God should have thrown us into hell and never thought about us again. He'd have been just if he did that. But Jesus, but Jesus, amen? Jesus left heaven and said, no, I love him too much. That he paid our death penalty for us. He was our substitute. He took our place on death row and died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again and he shed his shed his blood, as we just read in Colossians chapter one, verse fourteen, for our redemption. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever been wondering how can I have my sins forgiven? Redemption through his blood? Through his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all unrighteousness, who washed us from our sins in his own blood. Praise the Lord. All of them. He didn't miss any. And because of that, our record is now whiter than snow. So simple, a child can understand this. Number two. For the saved to be sanctified. The will of God. Number one, for all to be saved. Number two, for the saved to be sanctified. Salvation is the first part of doing God's perfect and complete will. There's much more after that. Number two is for God, for us to be sanctified. Look at First Thessalonians 4. Notice how clear the writing is here. Verse 3. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that's a big long word, five syllables. That's too much for a farmer. No, there's a lot of brilliant farmers out there, don't get me wrong, but for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Boy, that's not popular today, telling people to abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, that's evil desires, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Boy, they broadcast that, don't they, in their movies and TV shows. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. Verse 7. So here's a synonym now verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness. Sanctification is that process whereby the Holy Ghost begins to work in us the day we're saved to make us more like the Lord. Well, the Lord is holy. And sanctification means to be separate, to be separate from the world, to be separate from, this, from sin so that we can be separated unto God for service. It is the process whereby he is constantly working on making you and I more holy. Holy, H-O-L-Y, holy. The, uh, if you read through the Bible, one of the things you cannot miss is the doctrine that God is holy. Uh, he is so holy that way back in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah actually got to look into heaven, the prophet. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And the Bible says, as he sat on the throne, God did, that there were these angelic beings that God had created called seraphims. Seraphims. Angelic beings are, there's three types. There's angels. Cherubims, which have two wings. Seraphims, which have six wings. And it says, these constantly fly around the throne of God, and with two wings, they cover their face. With two wings, they cover their feet. And with the middle two wings, they fly, circular. And it says, they unceasingly pronounce the holiness of God. Isaiah saw them, and they just constantly said, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. That's about 700 years before Christ when Isaiah saw that. Sometime in the future, which hasn't come yet, when you and I are in heaven, the rapture takes place after chapter 3 of the church, the bride, the body of Christ. In chapter 4, you see the throne of God and the emerald rainbow. That's the color I'm looking for, rainbow. I want to see the emerald one. Amen? And the seraphims are still flying around the throne in the future sometime, and guess what they're saying? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now, if you do the math, that's about 2,700 years so far. So if you and I were in heaven, there would be no confusion over what God's greatest attribute is. But today you go out there and you say, you take a clipboard and talk to 100 people and say, what's God's greatest attribute? They're going to say love. Eh, wrong answer. It's not love. God is love. Praise the Lord for that. But his love is subject to his holiness. Nobody will ever be thrown into hell forever unloved. Nobody will be cast into a lake of fire forever unloved. Every one of them will have been loved. But they're thrown in there because they don't have any holiness, because without holiness, no man shall see God. And so when you and I are saved, point number one, and born again, a transaction takes place where positionally, we are immediately sanctified in the eyes of God. And then perpetually after that, he's sanctifying it while we're here on earth. But God sees us, as soon as you're saved, as righteous. Because Jesus, it says, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Question, how righteous is God? That's what we're made at salvation. That's called imputed righteousness. We didn't earn it. He put it to our account. He washed us from our sins in his own blood and robed us in the righteousness of Christ. And when the Lord sees you, he doesn't see you or your sin or your righteousness, he sees you cleansed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I have no righteousness of my own. Those things were filthy rags. But now I have the righteousness of Christ that's clothed me. I'm glad God is love and his love caused him to actively try to seek me and save me by sending his son Jesus to die for me and then sending his Holy Spirit to follow me around all my life, convicting me of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and pointing me to the cross. I'm glad he didn't give up on me. And if you're saved, we should be thankful for that today. But after we're saved... He wants us to be sanctified. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. He wants to constantly be in the process of making you and I more holy, more clean. He cleanses us by his word and and, and the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, right about here, some of us have been lied to for a long time, and we know who the Father of Lies is. And we fear that if we pursued a holy life, we would never be happy again, never smile again, never laugh again. But we've been lied to. You know, I remember in my life, it was when I was in sin that I was miserable. It was when I was in sin that I had to battle those powerful emotions like embarrassment, shame, guilt, conviction. But now I'm free from all those emotions. And now I have the joy of the Lord. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, it's a lie that a holy life will keep you from joy or pleasure. In fact, many of you know that God has been sanctifying you and and you've turned your back on so many things in the world back then that at one time you thought you, you couldn't live without it. But now compared to Christ, you can't live with it. You've, given, you've, you've, turned, you've walked away from those things. And we've seen people in our church, and there's people all over the world that have walked away from drugs and walked away from alcohol and walked away from entertainment and walked away even from things like music or sports or what. I, I know guys that have given up fishing and hunting, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with some recreation once in a while, but, but they have just found so much pleasure in Christ. Christ. They don't need that. Not everybody. I, I mean, if you go fishing or hunting, wonderful. Bring me some venison. Get get the small ones, though. Don't buy those. Get those big bucks. I want the small ones with the tender meat that uh, that you know you can you can eat. But uh, anyway, sanctification, man. I, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, some people living in sin are. Constantly depressed. Some even have suicidal thoughts. What, what? Life's not worth living anymore. Not when you're in the presence of God and his holiness. Don't be afraid of holiness. Don't be afraid of letting the Lord really work in your life to sanctify you and set you apart. Now, while we're here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to close with this point. That doesn't mean I'm anywhere near done. I'm just saying we're going to have three points today. Aren't these verses clear? The Lord wants you to be saved. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's God's will. He so, say, man, I didn't know that. Yeah, God wants to save us and then clean us up. But we put a lot of stuff in our minds and our eyes and our hearts before we're saved, and God can amazingly clean that up. David, one time, he fell into sin, but he prayed and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, God can, God can convert us real good. Uh, from our sins and also from our past. If we'll just say, Lord, sanctify me. Now notice this last one, and this will this will kind of take us into the, I hate to use this word, season. Thanksgiving. There's no such thing. Thank, there's no such thing as Thanksgiving Day. Look what the verse says. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything give thanks. Now notice how clear this is. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's God's will. So I hope you're examining yourself because I don't know about you, but I need more gratitude. I can take things for granted. Maybe it's because I'm an American and I'm spoiled. I don't know. I can take things for granted that I shouldn't take for granted. I should be more thankful. I'm a lot more thankful today than I've ever been. God has been so good to me. And I'm glad we have a season, and I'm glad we have a country. There's only two countries on earth that have a Thanksgiving day. Only two. And we're one of them. 195 nations. But don't get proud about that. Thanksgiving Day is every day. Every day. And we'll talk more Tuesday night about that. Be thankful. Be thankful for little things. We had... Thanksgiving dinner at Countryside, our church plant, and we've just, we've been blessed out there. We had a visitor there today, a grandma who brought her grandson, and then two little kids, Ethan and Sadie, uh, came once, haven't seen her. I was just praying, I was praying for them on the way to Countryside, and they came this morning. And uh, they were back for the second time, and, and uh, but we had a testimony meeting, Thursday night we had our harvest dinner, And then we came upstairs, uh, came in the church and had testimonies. And testimonies, people were giving thanks. One lady lives in an apartment building um, and she has no car. And uh, she lives by herself. And she likes to do crafts and and she does. She gives them away. She brings them to our church and we give them away. Um, She makes things with her hands and. And another lady in our church goes out with gospel tracts and gives them, you know, these towels that hang off your whatever, you know what I mean, the handles. She makes them by hand. And so she makes them, and this other lady takes them out with gospel tracts and says, here's a gift from our church. And wow, what a ministry. Anyway, she's crafty. And so she's in her apartment building there, and, and she said, she ran out of black paint, ran out of black paint. And so she did what all of us should do. She prayed. Said, Lord, I don't have any black paint. I don't have anybody to get it. Would you help me? That day, a knock on her door. A lady in another apartment in the building said to her, uh, I think this is how the story went, but um, do you do crafts? And she said, yeah, she said, I got a lot of material here, craft material, that I don't need. Maybe you can use it. And included were two quarts of black paint. Two quarts of black paint. And everything gives thanks for this is the will. Another lady, she just floored me. It was, it was amazing. I, the depth of her testimony Thursday night, some of you were there. She said, I thank the Lord my husband died 22 years ago. And uh, I was struggling with that one. She said, my husband loved the Lord. He knew the Lord. He was such a godly man. I had such a wonderful husband. But he died 22 years ago. And she said, my whole life was him. But the last 22 years, my whole life's been God. God. And she, she said, I want to thank the Lord for taking him to heaven. He's a good man. I'm glad he's there. But I also want to thank the Lord that in the last 22 years, I have experienced the fullness of God that I would have never experienced any other way. So, wow, that was deep. That was deep. I hear many testimonies like that. I've experienced the fullness of God. And let me give you one more here. About in everything, give thanks. For this is the will, not just the good stuff, but in everything, give thanks. Many of you heard have heard the story of Cory Tenboom and her sister Betsy. They lived in the Netherlands. Her parents were watchmakers. Pastor Shutt was sharing this. You've heard it too, maybe. And they had a hiding place in their home where they hid Jews from the Nazis uh, during World War One. And the Gestapo was going through the Netherlands there, looking for Jews, and and uh, they got somehow they got caught. And Cory Ten Boom, Corey was her first name, Ten Boom was I guess the last name. Her, and her sister Betsy got caught and they were taken to the concentration camp and put in the concentration camp and if you've ever been to a concentration camp, man, that's a I've been to a Dachau in Germany it's just ghastly to say the least but they have all those buildings lined up and they crammed all the Jews and Gentiles, there were about 5 million Gentiles died in the concentration camps, 6 million Jews Her, and her Sister Betsy. Well, it turns out Betsy's favorite verse in the Bible was, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And she used to always say that while they were free. And so they got there and they were put in a building or barracks or whatever they were. And they had an outbreak of lice in their particular barracks, lice. And Corey said, what should we do? And Betsy says, we should do what we should always do. Let us thank the Lord for the lice. It's all over our heads and all over our hair. She thought Betsy was nuts. Betsy died, by the way, in the concentration camp. But Betsy thanked the Lord and said, Thank you, Lord, for this whole load of head lice. Because that's what the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And Cory Tenboom didn't know this, or Betsy died. Corey survived and was liberated. And she found out later that the Nazi guards did not come to their building because of the lice and they were free to have Bible study they were free to have church services they were free to tell the other uh, whatever you call them inmates or whatever about the Lord Jesus Christ and they were free as women from the Nazi guards who were molesting the women but they wouldn't go near Corey or Betsy because their heads were loaded with lice. They wouldn't go near their building. And she found out later that story, and she realized it's the best thing. That in everything we give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Are you saved today? If you're saved, have you yielded to God and said, God, make me more holy? It may, may lead to some pretty radical life changes, but you won't regret it. And do you have a heart of gratitude? I, I, we're supposed to be abounding in thanksgiving. And there's a verse that says we're supposed to be abounding in thanksgiving. And I read that sometimes and I say, that does not describe me. I'm sorry, that should describe me, especially in America. That should be my description, abounding. and I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. But I'm getting better. I hope you are and more grateful. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for thy will to be done. Lord, we have prayed that universal prayer for so long. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that these things we have seen, which we know are a fact of your will, would be done in us that at least we could get these three steps and say, I'm more in the will of God today than I've ever been before. Maybe it's new to some. They never heard a sermon like this. Maybe it's a reminder to others. Maybe we've forgotten. And Lord, personally, I've already confessed that I don't have the heart of gratitude I should have. Although I'm more thankful, I think, than I've ever been before. Help us, Lord, to be in thy will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.